Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Dew, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, July 10th, 2015, and, we, and, and um, we are going to be reading from the big book, and we are in page 97, the second paragraph, beginning with We Seldom Allow, and we're going to read two paragraphs today. Um, Today's readers uh, uh, for this text will be Patty M. Uh, and Marie, uh, Patty M. for the 12 steps, and Marie for the 12 traditions. And my main readers for the text will be Monica T. and followed by Janice M. Our OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donation. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message to recover, of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition, states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Patty M. to read the 12 steps. Hi, can you hear me, Do? Yes, I can. Okay, thank you. Um, the 12 steps. This is Patty M., um, compulsive overeater. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pat. Thank you for that, uh, Patty. Um, I will now ask Anne-Marie to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Dew, and thank you for your uh, service. This is Anne-Marie M. I am currently in Rhode Island, uh, grateful, um, recovered, compulsive 
over here. The 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should be should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for that, Anne-Marie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing, and that you keep your sharing to approximately three minutes. Um, if you go over the time, we will give you a kindly reminder of um, time. So if you hear that word, you, you know you've passed your time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for, re- for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions of the Big Book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Uh, And I forgot to mention that yesterday's uh, reference number yesterday was uh, Thursday, July 9th, and the share ID was 7814. That number is 7814. Okay, and now we will resume with our study of the big book, and I will have Monica T. get us started. On Good morning. Page, I'm sorry, on page 97, <laughs> second paragraph. Go ahead, Monica. <laughs> Good morning, Duke. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater presently in Vermont. Page 97. 
We seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for long at, at a time. It is not good for him. And it is sometimes and it sometimes creates serious complications in a family. Though an alcoholic does not respond, there is no reason why you should neglect his family. You should continue to be friendly to them. The family should be offered your way of life. Should they accept and practice spiritual principles, there is a much better chance that the head of the family will recover. And even though he continues to drink, the family will find life more bearable. And I am Monica T., a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, We seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for a long time. It is not good for him. And it sometimes creates serious complications in a family. Um, I personally cannot really relate to either of these paragraphs here because I have not ever done this with um, someone else or had it done for me that I, I took somebody into my home for a short period of time. Um, so I can't say a whole much about this this morning. Um, it is not good for him, but that did pop out for to me that, you know, we, the big book tells us over and over again, our aim is to be a help. Our, own, our, our only gain, our only goal is to be a help, to be a help. And sometimes this might mean that we might take, um, bring somebody in and help them through those first few days of, of you know, getting abstinent, of getting sober. Um, but it goes on to say here, you know, we don't want to do this for any real length of time because they may start depending on us. And um, that wouldn't be good for them if we're doing everything for them. You know, it's not good for us. And also the other side of the coin is, you know, if um, it, it may put a, a, bear, a burden, a hardship on the rest of my family if I have some stranger in the house uh, for, for a length of time. So... That's all I'm going to say here this morning, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. We're going to open it up for sharing. Who would like to share on this paragraph? This is Larry. Larry. Sorry. I just heard Larry. Who else would like to share? Sally. Melissa C. Austin R. Austin R. Yeah. Okay, we'll we'll go with those. Larry, Sally, Melissa, and Austin R. Larry K, you're up first. Do thanks, uh, Larry K, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Thanks for your service, too. Um, so you know, I'm going to drill down to the second paragraph that Monica read. Um, You know, there's no reason why you should neglect his family. And, you know, just a bit of history to guide us here. Um, You know, as Bill and Dr. Bob met and began to to build the foundation, you know, for recovering um, alcoholics, it was actually Dr. Bob's wife, Ann, um, who often comforted uh, grief-stricken wives. Um, And and she would say, you know, uh, come in, you know, you're with friends now. And they began to discover the benefits of living by AA's 12, step, uh, 12 steps and principles. And um, this improved uh, family relationships. And, you know, in 1939, of course, when this book was published, more family groups began to form. And and even, you know, by 1951, you know, Lois um, 
co-founded along with Anne, which was you know Dr. B, Dr. Bob's wife. They founded Al-Anon, and their purpose was what? It was to unify family groups. So I'm informed, you know, by this paragraph, they recognize that, look, alcoholism in many ways was indeed a family disease. And it was oftentimes, you know, multi-generational. And even, even like the, uh, you know, the, 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 the family, uh, you know, group headquarters for Al-Anon is in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You know, I might just have to, to pay a visit to them because I, I just happen to be uh, like many of you, I'm going to be in Virginia October 30th to November 1st. You know when we, uh, you know when we have a weekend of the Big Book Inspiration for our Vision Convention. So you know many of us are are, are not only compulsive overeaters, but we're survivors of this disease within families. You know with this and other addictions. And you know for me, what I read in this paragraph is that this 12-step way of life can be helpful to the family, and even though, as it says, he continues to drink, the family will find life more bearable. And, you know, that's what I see here is, is that, uh, you know, that we have this disease, um, <clears throat> but families are affected, and, you know, there is this 12-step way of life. Um, I only thought it was about fat and food, but those were merely symptoms. The 12-step way of life for me today is about the whole complete restoration of, you know, what my higher power intended me to be, and that could be a benefit to uh, families. So we want to always extend the hand to families as well. Uh, And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Uh, We will now have Sally A. followed by Melissa. Good morning, Do, and good morning, A Vision for You. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. I wanted to speak to the sentence, the family should be offered your way of life. It's very interesting that just about every single chapter in the big book, in these first 164 pages at least, use an expression like that, your way of life. It says, a design for living a manner of living, a way of living. And here we see your way of life. And I have been thinking about this a lot lately. What, what is my way of life? You know, what is, I don't know, I could give you the pat answer that I live by the 12 steps, but, but that doesn't even begin to describe the changes that have happened in the last three years of living recovered. Um, my way of living has become a very different way of living and hard to explain even to myself. Um, literally, I have to put my finger on my, on my wrist and feel my pulse and try to figure out what, what's changed here. I used to live in my head. Everything was going on in my head. I was ever figuring out and trying to figure my way out. Everything. There was, there was incredible um, war zones going on in my head. I had all kinds of strange happenings going on in my head. In fact, I was talking about it recently with someone that there was the backdrop of music in my head. Nee, 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 I had like Mission Impossible music going on in my head. I was paranoid. I was suspicious. I was defensive. I was constantly on the defense. And the best defense apparently is a good offense 
And so consequently, I was on the attack. I was a fighter. I was constantly defending myself. Now, I listen. I pray. I wait on God to tell me what to do, what to say. If I don't hear anything, I just continue to listen. And I say, even last night, I I was marveling that uh, one of my sisters called me. She was furious with my son. She was going on and on about something that happened that I didn't know anything about. And I just listened, and I knew that I, I was thinking to myself, believe it or not, I was thinking to myself, I'm like Superman. I'm like dodging bullets, boing, boing, boing. Bullets are flying off of me, and nothing is offending me. It's nothing is affecting me. I'm just listening and being loving and kind and taking it from where it's coming from and saying, okay, 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 I'm sorry that that happened. I'm sorry you feel that way. okay. And I'm able to leap tall buildings and dodge bullets. How do I explain to people the way that I live when it is a bizarre way of living? It is truly my dependence is on God. I'm waiting. I'm practicing the powerful, the power of the pause. Thanks for letting me share with that. I passed. Thank you, Sally. We will now go on to Melissa. And Melissa, just a reminder to everyone, please um, uh, mention your your initial of your last name. Thank you. Hi. Good morning. This is Melissa C. Um, from New York, recovered compulsive overeater. Um, we seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for a long time. It is not good for him, and it sometimes creates serious complications in a family. And, you know, at first um, I I was quick to almost dismiss that paragraph because I've never brought anybody physically into my home. Um, But then I really started thinking about it. And today um, with how accessible we are um, to communication, whether it's my iPhone or texting, um, any kind of media. And, um, you know, I have, in a sense, taken people into my home through through those means, and um, and then I started thinking about ways that I've overstepped my helpfulness and how it truly is not good for the person I'm trying to help. Um, too much help can be crippling. It's too much advice, too much direction. It causes, for me, it causes my ego to become way too huge. I begin to do so much because that's part of my compulsive nature, um, you know, more, more, more. It's who I am. It's a character defect of mine. Um, then I get to play the martyr. Um, I love the over the over praise and the accolades and um, you know. And I've done this in lots of areas of my life. And then I feel way too resentful and unappreciative because you know the praise um, is like an addiction too, and it's not enough. And so um, it makes. And then it also makes the person I'm helpful to overly reliant on me. And, you know, we're working on reliance on a higher power, not on other people. And, you know, and then I'm also a mother and a wife and a daughter. And um, and so it means that although this program and my service to others here is crucial and, and it does have to come first because without it, I don't have anything else. But I have people in my life who love me and, um, They've been with me through the darkest of times, and they do deserve a good share of me as well. 
This means that when I'm participating in a family activity, you know, I have to think about that like my home. And I can't always bring other people in. I, sometimes that means I can't answer the phone. I have to let it go to voicemail. And in essence, I cannot bring the addict into my home for too long. I, I have to set boundaries because I know I'm not the savior here. I merely have some useful experience and a message to share. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're going to um, go on to Austin R. You're next. Good Austin. morning, Sue. Good Thank morning, you. Sue. Hi, good morning. This is Austin R. I am a compulsive eater from Massachusetts, working on my recovery by God's grace one day at a time. Sue, thank you for your service. Everyone, thank you for your significant contributions to this call. Um, I I was struck by the, today's reading about allowing the alcoholic into your home. Uh, for me, it is about allowing uh, uh, what I view as a, an ailing adult child of uh, mine into my home. Uh, and knowing, you know, in, in Larry Kay referencing Al-Anon, um, knowing that allowing them the dignity to make their own choices and live by the natural consequences of their actions, much like I need to do, is the right course of action. Um, as much as it may be the right course of action, it does not come out, come without significant pain. I think that uh, for me that I am letting down someone uh, and not there for them in their time of need. And yet I also know that for today I... And learning that I have needs and I need to set boundaries that I've not set before. And that is part of my health, part of building my own health. So, um, you know, it's interesting to contemplate bringing in an alcoholic or someone in, in, in need who is not a family member. And that is certainly one consideration. And I look forward to the day that I have that grace to be able to do that. Um, yet for me, the prospect of doing it for a family member just is even more painful to recognize that I can't do it today. So, again, I just wanted to share that. I, again, have deep gratitude for all of you. Thank you for sharing your recovery for me, and I, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Austin. Uh, and before we move on to the next paragraph, who else would like to share on this paragraph? I'd like to share. This is Marcella. Marcella M. Rosalind and Amy G. Yes. I'm sorry, I, I heard Rosalind and someone after Rosalind. Marcella M. Marcella, then Amy. Nessa. And Nessa. We'll have time for those four. Okay, so we'll start off with Rosalind. Rosalind, please start, uh, press star one to unmute. It was Vasa. I don't know if there's any Rosalind that called. I think, I don't know if you got my name right. I thought I heard a Rosalind. But I guess you can go. Vasa, go, go ahead. Thank you, Drew. And I am grateful, recovered, compulsive reader calling from Massachusetts. And thank you for your service. And good morning, everyone. And we seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for long at a time. I was such a fixer. 
when I came at the beginning of my program, I just wanted to help everybody, even my uh, my family of origin. Um, and I've had people, you know, family members come and visit for a little bit too long, you know, and, you know, we've done, you know, alcoholism and stuff, drugs and whatever, you know. I said, I'm glad that, you know, it wasn't for very, very long. My husband would put up too much anyways. But anyways, um, I'm also a member of adult children, children in Al-Anon. And if I had to go back and live with my family of origin, I would never ha- have gone back. I don't know. I probably would have been a beggar before I went back over there. Uh, I still have uh, some nightmares living in, you know, in that kind of environment, you know. And today, I am. I've realized over the years, I, I cannot. Uh, I, you know, I'm powerless. I am powerless uh, over those people, and God is in charge of me and God is in charge of them too but I'm not saying I'm not I don't help you know I'm more to the extreme I'm such a caretaker and and enabler you know and I've learned over the years not to do it because it's uh, you know it stops them from their own growth and it stops me from setting boundaries to people like that too and you know I have no problem helping somebody once or twice I remember a woman in program, um, she was one of us, and, you know, and she was poor, and I was not even working in those days, and didn't have a lot of money, but I remember going to one of the stores and buying food, and, you know, and I'd bring it to her, you know, and I've given people money here and there, and, um, but um, as I go in the program, I'm much more, uh, wiser today, it's by the grace of God, you know, keeping the food down, and uh, you know, and you know, having that sixth sense, sixth sense inside of me tells me when and how and when not to, and how much. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Oh, we will now move to Marcella, followed by Amy. Good morning. My name is Marcella. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater calling from Boston. Um, so this paragraph of um, you know working with a family and never allowing the the alcoholic to live within our homes for too long because it's not good for him. If you read if we read the story of our fellowship of OA, um, you see that at the very beginning, uh, Roseanne's kitchen was flooded, literally flooded, with thousands of letters asking for help. And, and if you read, if you keep reading the history of OA, at the very, very beginning, the, the first women and few men that um, started the fellowship that now we enjoy, uh, many of their marriages broke up because it's easy to indulge and get intoxicated in the spiritual way of life as we read in the big book. So that can happen too. And and I totally agree that, that nowadays if we're Skyping and iPadding and, and with the cell phones is, is like living with a stranger in our own home. I was um, in a, leading a retreat in, in, in New Jersey with lots of women and we were doing the, the 12 steps in five hours and and not, no, no, as soon as we landed there and we checked into our hotels, the, the phones were ringing. Where are you coming back, mom? Where are you coming back? So 
as in the spirit of the of the first prayer and the semester prayer, the reason that we're recovering, the, the reason we're recovered and we're granted this gift is so that we can be of maximum service to God and our fellows, beginning with our families. So that's something to think about. I do have experience working with families, sometimes the addict and, and, and the compulsive overeater doesn't respond at once and the family despairs. And I do have some experience in saying, well, why should we neglect the family? So if nobody has ever invited you to an open meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm inviting you today. Come to us and, and go to the original source where people have 80 years of sobriety, um, of experience. I just recently came from the International Convention of AA. And uh, my AA sponsor who lives in London, she's... Um, she lives with her boyfriend who's not an alcoholic and not an addict and doesn't have any addiction problem. And, and we were um, making a line to get coffee and the, the city was flooded with us. It was awesome. And and then he said, well, he was, you know, very thirsty and, and he wanted his morning coffee to get kicking. And he said, well, I guess my part is that I knew that the city was flooded. <laughs> so he's talking the fourth column of the fourth step. And he's not an alcoholic because our way of life is attractive, is very attractive, and we exude confidence and optimism and the glow that was given to us for the day of today, which is nothing less than the glow of God and without a passion. Thank you for that, Marcella. Amy G., you're up, followed by Nessa. Two. Uh, this is Amy, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Maryland. Do is it my turn? Yes, it's your turn, Amy. Oh, okay. Okay, great. Thanks, Stu. Thanks so much for your service. My name is Amy. I'm a Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Maryland. You know, if we've been looking at what, we, what we've been reading here, this is, you know, working with others, and it, and it talks about neglecting this, not needing, not ne- neglecting the family. So so what are we saying here, uh, kind of along the lines of what Larry said, is that this is a disease that not only affects ourselves, but everyone around us. And if I think about that, I go back to page 82, where it says the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who has come up from the cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. And to his wife, he remarks, don't say anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stop blowing? For me, I used to think, what do I do? I just go around, I sit, I eat, you know what I mean? And when I was first coming into the program, I didn't think, who have I hurt? But the reality is the compulsive overeater, this disease wreaks havoc in entire families. And when it talks about neglecting the family, why are they mentioning the family? Because of the suffering that goes on in the family with the disease of alcoholism and compulsive overeating. And I feel so strongly about the fact that someone was saying about going to an open meeting, sharing with a family, and being able to be open and available to to be able to share this program. I've always thought that there should be an anybody's anonymous because everyone could use the 12-step programs. But unfortunately, it took me being dying, desperate, and doomed to want to work this program. But the reality is that this spiritual program has power to transform not only individual lives, but families as well. I was the first person in my program, that in my family, that had ever heard about a 12-step program. And I became the only big book that they ever saw. And yet I had the ability just by working my own program to be able to show to others what this program can do. And then I had other members of my family. 
I mean, quite often in a family dynamic, there's maybe more than one compulsive overeater or more than one addict or more than one alcoholic. And those things are very powerful to show that recovery within the family group or within the family dynamic. And I just feel that we have to be very careful when we think about this is just my program and I don't share it with anyone else as far as it within the family dynamic. It is not. I had to be open and say to my family who I was, where I was at, and what I was doing to take care of myself. And it had incredible effect just by me working my own program. But I was foolish. I used to think, and that's what this disease does. It tells me I'm not affecting anybody. It tells me all I did was I ate in isolation. I sat in a dark car in a parking lot at midnight binging my braids out, who am I affecting? Oh, but I am affecting a lot. I am affecting a lot by my by my disease, not just myself. That's enough out of me. Thanks for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Now we'll move on to our last reader before we move on to the next paragraph, Nessa. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa R., compulsive, uh, recovered compulsive overeater in Canada. Um, I guess everybody else has said what I was going to say in a much more eloquent way, so I'm just going to keep it brief. But uh, for me, this paragraph is um, is about setting boundaries. Um, I personally have a very hard time saying no to um, other compulsive overeaters who call me for help um, or ask me to sponsor them. And the truth is, is that I only have a certain amount of time that I can devote to, um, to program, I want to be able to give all my sponsees an adequate amount of time instead of um, rushing through um, sponsee phone calls like an assembly line. And, you know, in order to do that, I, I need to set boundaries as to how many sponsees I take. Not only that, but um, it, it affects my family when I spend so much time, so much time on the phone and going to meetings to... Uh, to carry the message, et cetera, and um, also taking phone calls from people who, who are not necessarily sponsees but with whom I speak regularly or not so regularly. And it's all about boundary setting because I have to, I have to practice these principles probably first and foremost with my family because those are the ones who have been most badly hurt by, by my disease over the years. So um, setting boundaries is, um, is for me, the, the, the key message of this paragraph. And so with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nessa. Now we'll move on to the next paragraph. And Janice M., would you like to begin reading? Yes, I would. And thank you. Thank you to everyone. Uh, my name is Janice M. from Massachusetts, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. For the type of alcoholic who is able and willing to get well, little charity in the ordinary sense of the word is needed or wanted. The men who cry for money and shelter before conquering alcohol are on the wrong track. Yet we do go to great extremes to provide each other with these very things when such action is warranted. This may seem inconsistent, but we think it not. This is a great paragraph, you know. Um, I love it because, you know, for those that are really able and willing, you know, they're, they're agreeing to get recovered, to use these steps, to practice these principles. Little giving to them of money or anything is needed. However, what it says is, uh, to me, is it's a big lesson in 
the men who cry for money and shelter. Well, of course, I experienced that. I put my recovery on the back burner. Let me get my business in order. Let me get my home in order. And then I'll have time to practice these principles and get into the 12 steps. That's how my life was. Job first, family second, and, you know, my recovery last. So what I see from what I get from this paragraph is I put the cart before the horse. You know, and I know we all think like that. Well, let me, you know, it's so important, this physical this physical world. i got to get a job. I'll get money because, after all, well, if I don't have recovery, I'm going to lose the job anyway, and I'm going to lose the house, and I'm going to lose my husband um, because that's the track that I was on, and that's the wrong track, the cart before the horse because recovery, recovery, recovery has to be number one. And that's what they're talking about, the two types of people. Either you're that type, which I was, or the type that says, oh, no, that, that knows from experience now and listening to others here on the, on the line, um, that recovery is first. And, and it doesn't, it's paradox. Like, how can that be? After all, i got to take care of my job. Well, <laughs> you know, through experience, recovery must come first. That's the right track to be on. And then it tells us in the book, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. We will open up the floor for more sharing. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Sarah W. Sarah W. Leah. Leah. Kim G. Kim G. Anyone else? Okay, so we'll start off with Sarah M., Leah M., and then Kim G. Sarah, you're up. Thank you, too, for your service. This is Sarah W., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater. I've been on both sides of this. Um, it's talking about uh, the person who's the addict, uh, compulsive reader or alcoholic who is able and willing to get well. Uh, and it says little charity. You know, so you know. I guess the way I look at this is those that are capable. Um, it's kind of like the thing, you know, we don't step in and help somebody that's that's helping themselves. Um, it's kind of like God will do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We can help where somebody can't help themselves in something. It's kind of like a little kid that that is, you know, learning to walk. You know, we don't try to, you know, hold on to them when they're, when they're um, trying to take their first couple of steps, even if they fall a little bit. For me, um, early in recovery, my first five years, uh, and I was very devoted to the program right away. As a matter of fact, I neglected my family very much in the first five years because I was running to the safety and the uh, cushion of the rooms uh, and not dealing with my issues in my home. Uh, but um, I ended up where I... Uh, I left a marriage in that first five years, and I, um, a very good friend of mine who was uh, very, very well to do, 
was able to help me at that point uh, and loaned me um, about a thousand dollars and um, I didn't live with her, but she was very helpful for me and I've had many many people help me and I have always paid back uh, any money that I've uh, received from people that have helped me and I have I have also done that in the program for other people. And I do believe in that, um, that we can help other people. Uh, and it's about discernment. I think that's why uh, the, the paragraph states um, in the end that this may be in, seem inconsistent, but we think it is not. I think it's all about discernment and really um, you know, not doing for others what they can do for themselves, but at times to step in and um, and be there for other people in ways that maybe don't seem uh, quite um, within the norm of what we see. Uh, I, I know for me, uh, it just got me to the other side uh, of what I needed to do. Um, I, I've had very good jobs, and then I've had um, struggles financially in, in my recovery. Um, and at times I have lived with somebody for a short period when I was uh, getting myself together, when I had a lot going on. So, um, you know, I, I think it really is about discernment, and with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. Leah M., you're up. Thanks so much, too. Uh, the men who cry for money and shelter before conquering alcohol are on the wrong track. Um, you know, Certainly, I've spent a lot of time in the AA culture, which is important to, you know, has been an important facet of understanding uh, the fellowship and the program and all its dynamics and, and watching, um, you know, seasoned, recovered alcoholic sponsor. And, you know, certainly they are there for one another in many, many capacities, um, but the bottom line is that the recovery has to be number one, you know, and it has to be that way for the people I work with um, because that was the way it was for me. You know, that's the way it was for me. You know, my recovery had to be number one. My disease was always number one. You know, it didn't matter whether I was rich or poor, needing money or had a lot in my account, uh, you know, in school, out of school, employed, not employed. Disease was always number one. I showed up for compulsive overeating. In the morning, in the night, I rearranged my schedule to make my disease uh, number one. You know what I mean? It pushed me. It dragged me by the roots of my hair. Um, I did whatever I needed to do in order to get my fix, in order to binge my brains out. So when it came time, you know, when I was beaten into a state of reasonableness, recovery became number one. It came before employment. It came before getting money. You know, I'm an ambitious, driven type of individual. The, all that energy had to be channeled towards recovery because recovery does not just enhance my life. You know, I don't build my recovery around my life. Recovery is my life. It is my life. It doesn't enhance my life. It is my life. It's in my every breath. It's in the fiber of my body um, because it gives me life. It is life-giving. The program of recovery is life-giving. That way, anything else I attend to, furthering education, uh, growing a family, raising a family, 
I'm able to bring my best to that. So, you know, I look at this paragraph and I see priorities. I see priorities that, yes, the fellowship, you know, in AA history and AA literature makes it clear a sponsor and a fellowship is not a preacher. It's not a parent. It's not a banker. We don't employ people. You know, we're not disciplinarians. But, you know, we are there to help one another. But who, you know, do you know who and what you are? And if you do know who and what you are, like I'm a real compulsive overeater and I know who and what I am today, then my recovery has to be number one. It has to be number one. And with that, uh, you know, attitude, uh, people are more than happy to assist one another within uh, the fellowship. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Leah. Kim G., you're up next. Good morning, Do. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. For the type of alcoholic who is able and willing to get well, little charity in the ordinary sense of the word is needed or wanted. You know, I remember two important things someone told me when I started sponsoring is, is number one, my job is to carry the message, not the compulsive overeater, and that if I'm working harder than the person I'm working with, I need to let them go. And, uh, you know, I think back to page 30 where it talks about our drinking career. And Leah just described um, beautifully that career. What was I willing to do for my disease? You know, what is a career? It's full time. It's dedication. It's specialized training. I was willing to do whatever and whatever for my disease. But yet I want to treat this recovery like it's a hobby. And what's a hobby? It's part time. I do it when I feel like doing it, only when it's pleasurable. And that's not the way this disease works. That's not the way recovery works. I have to be willing to put this first and foremost in my mind. You know, this is my opinion. I, you know, OA is dominantly women. And I think women are socialized that we're supposed to be caregivers and take care of everyone else. Um, and I think one of the problems I had, the prejudice I came in with after you know, decades in OA, constantly having periods of relief followed by relapse, periods of relief followed by relapse, is I thought these steps took a long time. I thought in order to do the steps, I had to do one step a month. I had to be abstinent for six months before I could do a fourth step. So it seemed like I don't have the time to do this. This is a very, very quick process. It's a thorough process. We get through it in a short period of time if we are dedicated, if we want to we wanna make sure that this is the number one priority in our life, and that we have to, we have to make this first and foremost because – when I use that excuse, in my opinion, excuse of, well, I have other responsibilities, I learn by doing these steps that I'm not really available to other people when I'm in my disease. I might think I'm physically there, but I'm not available to anyone on any level if my disease is in my the forefront of my mind. So the best gift I can give my family, I can give my job, I can give the people around me is to put this recovery first, get recovered and keep that first so that people can have the best of me. You know, I remember specifically when I went through this process, I was on disability. I had broken my ankle, worst pain I've ever been in. And that, thank God, because that was the urgency to get through these steps in a short period of time. But I just want to give one example. I was in bed, could most pain in my life, decided I might as well pee in my bed because it was too painful to go to the bathroom and walk that distance. Yet 10 minutes later, I wanted food, and I walked and got food. And let me tell you, my kitchen was twice the distance from my bedroom as, as the bathroom. And I think of that. The things that I'm willing to do for my disease have demanded much more from me than whatever I've been asked to do for my recovery. 
And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And this is Du Al, and I'm going to chime in here. Um, it says the men who cry out for money and shelter before conquering alcohol are on the wrong track. Yet we do not do, um, we go to great extremes to provide each other with these things when such action is warranted. And, you know, how does this apply today to the compulsive overeater, you know, when, when they put a lot of effort in wanting help, you know, when they want to just mooch off of you. And, you know, think about the ways that they want to mooch off of you today. You know, is it that they really want physical stuff or is it that they want emotional stuff? And one of the things that um, my sponsor had brought to my attention on this paragraph is that with the compulsive overeater, they're going to want to do two things. They're going to want for you to spoon feed them or they're going to want you to bail them out. You know, so there are three types of compulsive overeaters. There's the ones that, you know, are binging on you, you know, they're just like how they eat. They're either binging on you, they're, they're wanting, 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 wanting from you, um, exhausting you um, with your time, your energy, uh, different things that they, they just want their emotional needs to be taken care of. Um, the other way is they could be uh, purging. They could just be just letting you know all their problems, giving you all their problems, and not really working the steps. Or they could be the anorexic type where they never call you. <laughs> and so, you know, when I, when I came into this paragraph, I, I really learned that the results have to do with God's will. God's in charge of the results, and it has nothing to do with me trying to get something out of it or having strings attached because that has to do with selfishness. And I know that the big book tells me that selfishness needs to be get rid of because if not, I will die. I will die as a compulsive overeater. And so, you know, uh, it says little charity is needed in the sense of the word if, if you really need this or want this. And, and that's it. You know, if you work through this 12 steps and you work through this program, you don't need anything else but that. Everything else will fall in line once you have that spiritual awakening. And uh, that's the end of my share. Anyone else that would like to share? We have maybe two more people that can share. I'm sorry? This is Betty. I would like to share. Okay, Betty. Judy F. And Judy S., that will be our last share. Thank you. Betty, you're up. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your time, and thank you for leading the meeting, and thank you everyone who's on the line working the program with me and doing service. As I heard others speak and as I reread this paragraph, I was thinking of the counterintuitive issues that come up uh, in, in the 12-step OA program, which have taught me so much because I used to think that fixing other people and directing their program was the way to go because if I didn't do that, I was neglecting them. And as others said, that was all about my ego. So I started thinking of the other counterintuitive wisdoms that I've learned in this program, that I suffer to get well, that I surrender to win, that I die to live, and that I give it away to keep it. And that's why I feel I've been retooled in this program with the help of God and um, the power of the, the fellowship and their wisdom. And I'm just so grateful 
So I'm really glad we're reading this today because it reminds me to keep my ego out of working with others as far as I can and uh, follow the spiritual principles, which means, as other people have said, that we all have to get well with the work of our higher power and the actions we're asked to take in this program. And it's never about me. Thanks so much for allowing me to share. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Betty. We will now move on to our last share, Judy F. Thank you, Du. Hello, visionaries. This is Judy F. from Massachusetts, currently in Ocean City, New Jersey. And just want to chime in with um, what before I surrendered, hit a bottom, but so desperate, desperate, my life was out of control. I was in and out of the room thinking, oh my God, if I really commit to this program, I'm going to have no life. It's just going to be about meetings and um, sponsoring, and I'll have no life. And that's just not the truth. When I, and I was told early on, it's program, family, job. Those are the priorities. And the recovery program, not just making sure I plan with my food to be abstinent, but, you know, working the steps, um, working with others, building a network, going and doing service wherever I could. When, when asked, I did it. And then, and it was always then checking in with God. Is this what you want me to do, God? Um, because I am a compulsive person. And in that, in these last 24 years, I've, so much has happened in my life. And that I used to dream. I, I, this is more than I ever dreamed. Two master's programs traveling all over the, the world uh, and building relationships, having a, a, a marriage that's been through a lot, going through deaths and, and happy times and uh, just so much. And it's all God, God first. And that's what program recovery is. Everything that we learn here, I'm just so grateful to right away have been given the direction and how to live the principles and do the work, the action steps. I do the action. God does the, has the results. And the results are, I mean, it really is a life second to none. And it, I can say that with sincerity and with real gratitude to my higher power and to this program of recovery and those that have been alongside me as I've gone through these years in recovery. So I'm just grateful, but it is program family job for me, always. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Judy F. And that brings us to the closing of our meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared and participated. Uh, we will now close the reading of the big book on page 164, followed by the surrender prayer. And I will have Melanie C. please to read a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, Du. Hi, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us.
Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you.